Hey listeners, this is Marcia Epstein in Lawrence, Kansas with Talk With Me. And I love this show. That's kind of why I sound like that at the beginning. I get really excited when I get to do this. My work is very fulfilling, very important, very much who I am. And the podcast is a highlight. It is a highlight. It's, it kind of fuels some other things that I do. And so I, I do get excited to get to do this. And the for me, one of the cool things is that guests that record with me come through a variety of connections, 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 you know, that spider web that we build in person and through social media and other ways of connecting with friends of friends of friends of friends kind of thing. And so this is really cool for me because this show is possible because of Nadia Amethon, who's now in Seattle, Washington, no longer in Lawrence, Kansas. Nadia and I met through the Lawrence, Kansas poetry scene, and then we both volunteered with this awesome program called Girls Rock Lawrence, this week-long summer camp for kids who are girls or anything but cisgender boys, so trans and gender non-conforming youth, middle school and high school age kids. They spend a week all day, Monday through Friday, doing these amazing things together and creating music, becoming a band. They get assigned to me. There's this cool stuff going on. Girls are once. I am saying that with, I love that. And also that there's this thing coming up in November for adults of the same gender identities as mentioned, basically not cisgender males. Uh, and this was called grown-ass rock camp <laughs> because so many of the adult women and trans and gender non-conforming folks who help with the summer camp for the youth have said and family members of the youth have said i wish there'd been this when i was that age and so the organizers of girls rock Lawrence have put together a weekend camp opportunity for adults. So that information will be on Facebook, Girls Rock Lawrence, and on their website, Girls Rock Lawrence Kansas. You can Google it and find the website. Cool stuff going on. And again, that that segue was because Nadia Amaphidon is an awesome person, a powerful poet, somebody that I became friends with because of poetry. And today, I get to do a show with a friend of hers, which is always a delight. And this person comes to us while on a huge tour, um, and I'll let him explain sort of what countries he affiliates with, because there are probably several at this point. And he is Mugabe Bienkia. Welcome, Mugabe. I'm so glad to do this. It seems like it's been a long time in coming. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you yeah, so much for having me. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a pleasure to be here. Great. Yeah, definitely a blessing. So, so tell us all a little bit about you, and then we'll start talking about whatever. All right, sounds good. So my name is Mugabe Bienkia. Um, Technically, my name is Mugabe Augustine Atemi Olatukumbo Bienkia. <laughs> yeah, I have several different names um, to, to represent several different parts of me. Um, I was born in Nigeria to Ugandan parents, um, and then I grew up moving around a lot. Um, so I um, identify with a lot of different countries because of my dad, the nature of my dad's work. Every three or four years, we moved. Um, and yeah, so spent most of my life living across Africa and Asia and North America. And right now, I'm currently on a book tour in support of my debut novel, which is treating me well so far. All right. Yeah. Where's your home base currently? Uh, currently, I'm back and forth between uh, Kampala, Uganda, and Toronto, Canada. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so that's quite a stretch. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And tell us a little bit about your work. I know that last night, we were recording on Thursday, September 21st, 2017, and last night, I know you were at the Uptown Arts Bar, mm -hmm. which has my heart. So many wonderful people I know who are affiliated with Uptown Arts Bar and Prospero's Books. Mm -hmm. Kid City has this awesome poetry scene. Mm -hmm. And we'll have, in October 2018, Fountain Verse, this cool weekend of small press poets, mm -hmm. all kinds of stuff going on. It'll be mm -hmm. the third such thing. Anyway, you were at Uptown last night, so I know poetry is in you. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So tell us a little bit about that. Like, what what are your what are your arts? Uh, my arts. Um, well, I honestly got into poetry through rap. 
um, yeah, through rap and hip hop, because uh, I religiously listened to a lot of rap and hip hop um, from about the time I got to uh, KU, because I went to KU for four years. Okay. Um, and I used to hate hip hop and hate rap music with a passion. Um, <laughs> and so it's ironic how I got so into it, um, largely because like, um, I used to see hip hop through a very, very um, like stereotypical lens where like I painted it with one broad stroke and I didn't really like delve into like the complexities in, uh -huh. in, in, in the art form. Um, but I listened to a lot of rock music and I loved a lot of like rock rap, like P.O.D. and System of a Down and Papa Roach and Linkin Park. Um, and through that, I was able to get introduced to like um, basically get like a segue into hip hop. And then I started um, rapping a bit myself because my older brother rapped. And made a couple of music videos and uh, was like just having fun with my friends. Uh -huh. um, and then I went to this um, one um, like open mic where I saw this guy do some spoken word poetry, and I was like, "Whoa!" Like I'd, I'd never seen it done before. Uh -huh. And I was like, "But that's like like rapping, but like without a beat." And I was uh -huh. like, "I think I want to give this a try." Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's how I got into poetry. And I've always written like outside of that, more like uh, long form like stories. Um, uh -huh. But like I never really um, completed that entire project um, up until recently when I yeah um, wrote my book uh -huh. mm -hmm. <laughs> and I dabble in uh, some drama as well some like screenwriting and script writing. Oh wow! Mm -hmm. And with that, are you performing in the theater type as well as in the spoken word poetry type? Um, you did said screenwriting. I'm just wondering if there's any. Oh, in terms of like oh. Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. Um, thus far, yeah. <laughs> thus far, I, I perform my spoken word poetry, and I like to do like, um, like, uh, like you know, like, so, so, like some just like talking with the audience and like interacting uh -huh. with people, and like uh -huh. you know, like uh, more like a speech type thing. Um, I haven't yet delved into like performance in sort of form in the form of like theater outside of like school plays. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. but who knows what will happen? Who knows. <laughs> So you you were at KU for four years. What yes. what were you doing at KU? Um, so um, I came to KU. Um, I was living in Uganda at the time. Uh, well, right right before coming to KU, <laughs> um, and um, I um, uh, like uh, my family was not doing well at all financially, and like um, I was trying to figure out where to go to university because my mom had put me in this like really really like elite private like um, really expensive school, and she'd taken out student loans to be able to put me there, um, and she like. Well, took like, all these all this debt because she wanted the best for me in terms of education, um, and so like I always like you know like felt like I had to um, in a sense like um, make that up to her, and so I like was always like you know very very studious and like uh, trying to like perform well academically, and also academics were to me a way of losing myself in something um, that like helped distract me from what was going on internally because my dad had just passed away. Uh, yeah, which is which was the reason for us moving to Uganda. Um, and losing my father was very, very hard on me um, because it was the reintroduction of myself to what was home, but what was never really home for me. Because mm -hmm. um, at that point, I was born in Nigeria and my whole life up till 13 was completely outside of Uganda. Uganda was a place where I went back home for my summer holidays. It wasn't really a home. It was like a you know summer vacation type thing where my mm -hmm. my dad and my mom were trying to you know make sure we were acquainted with our culture, but like it, it wasn't home. And so moving back there was very difficult. There was a lot of like um, a, a lot of difficulties with like trying to get adjusted to the culture, yeah. like fitting in but not really fitting in, like yeah. feeling Asian but like being black, and yeah. um, a lot of complexities also with um, being in a space at school which was like incredibly rich, incredibly wealthy and not having that money and not being able to relate to my peers. Um, but luckily I was able to um, like do really, really well academically and like lose myself in that and like um, gain some leadership positions at school and like, um, you know, leave an impact. And I was able to be awarded a full scholarship to go to KU, which is amazing, okay. yeah. And so once KU gave me that, I was like, all right, gonna take off on that. And ironically enough, once I like announced it to like my school, um, some of my classmates and peers laughed at me and they were like, you're so cheap that you have to get the school to pay for you. Oh, so, yeah, God. yeah, yeah. It was, it, it was, it was a rough place. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, but then I came to KU um, and I double majored in environmental uh, science and uh, international studies. And so I got both a BS and a BA and I loved my time here. It was absolutely beautiful.
Well, and, and as you tell that story in a condensed way, uh -huh. part of what, what I relate to is that 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 cultural difference between you and these people you were in school with, uh -huh. for example, uh -huh. and in general in Uganda uh -huh. and and at you know, a school age, we're so we're young, we're trying to figure out who we are, mm -hmm. and it's a very vulnerable time. Mm -hmm. And I know that it's a time that can be really difficult to get through safely mm -hmm. when your sense is that you don't really fit in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because all, 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 all like I wanted was just to fit in, you know, mm -hmm. and just to feel like I belonged. Um, yeah. But like I felt very, very Asian mentally because I've been for the past six years of my life, I've lived in Asia. Uh -huh. um, but then I was like, I don't look Asian, like I'm clearly like Ugandan by like looking at me. Um, and like, it just, it was, it was a jarring experience. Uh -huh. Yeah. What was it like when you were living wherever you lived in Asia? Um, it was a lot better, largely because of the like bubble that we were in. Um, because um, like uh, my dad worked for the United Nations Development Program. And so we went to like, um, um, schools with like a lot of people from all over the world in international schools and so like everybody was foreign and so like it will you didn't really stand out that much by mm -hmm. being foreign mm -hmm. um and so like it was like everyone was on the same boat everyone was like you know mm -hmm. um in the same like yeah uh, feelings and stuff and so um like asia like granted like i had experienced a lot of racism living there um, and it was it wasn't easy, um, but I was like protected by like the bubble that I lived in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. and and thinking and also I was a child, so yeah. So, yeah. so sometimes people sometimes people are nice, not always. <laughs> I was thinking about we, we are watching the PBS series on the Vietnam War that's uh -huh. going on right now, and in part because one of the um, veterans who's featured is a dear friend who mm -hmm. lives in Baldwin City, uh -huh. John Musgrave. And so, it, and I think it was in that in the episode last night. He mm -hmm. talks about what it was like as a 17, 18 year old to get off this plane mm -hmm. in Vietnam, mm -hmm. and all the different smells and sounds mm -hmm. and the way people, the customs. And he said, and he qualifies it. He says, as as someone coming from a small town in Missouri, mm -hmm. my first reaction is. Look at all these foreigners, <laughs> and then I realized, no, I'm the foreigner. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Yeah, just a huge experience. That, but for somebody who come from such a uh, homogenous community mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. in a small town in Missouri, mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. it was. It was it, it's it's really, yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, and so you've had in your whole life of being, uh, of being in a foreigner, places yeah, 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 and being and with so, other people mm -hmm. who were not originally from the country that you might be both living in at that time. Exactly, exactly. Which expands you in all kinds of ways. Mm -hmm. um, I joke about one friend who who doesn't have really great social skills. Who mm -hmm. did a lot of work with the Peace Corps mm -hmm. and and uh, lots of different um, foreign aid programs mm -hmm. and i used to think that his lack of social skills was be i it gave him the benefit of the doubt i thought well it's because he's been in so many different cultures that mm -hmm. he kind of doesn't know what's appropriate here mm -hmm. and then it's like no it's just kind of weird <laughs> but anyway so what I, i'm just imagining the richness because you've experienced mm -hmm. so many different ways of doing things so mm -hmm. many different ways of people being in the world mm -hmm. uh, and the richness that you bring into your writing because mm -hmm. you've experienced so many things that that a lot of people haven't because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i know from my own small experiences with travel mm -hmm. that that sometimes we don't realize some of the things that we do that we take for granted that mm -hmm. we think until we bump against them because they have a very different meaning somewhere mm -hmm. else. Mm -hmm. So you you've been you've had that challenge and opportunity 
to to learn a lot from the different cultures that you've been living in. Like I've been incredibly privileged. Um, like yeah, like like I'm not you know gonna sugarcoat it. Like <laughs> like I've lived an incredibly uh, privileged life. Um, like and like I was born into it, and so I know nothing else. Um, and I mean that's a very concept of privilege. It's like you know it's unearned. It's un you know like um like I I did nothing for it. Um, but like my experiences with travel and my experiences with uh, the different like countries that I've lived in and the different like um, cultures that I've inhabited um, have definitely been a massive privilege and a massive blessing. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel like uh, for me, um, one of the ways that it's helped me, ironically enough, the complete opposite of the, what you thought with your friend, um, is it helps me adapt a lot better to different situations mm-hmm. because I've been in so many different um, like settings that like I'm better able to see how to um, change my behavior and change my persona and change my like um, like sense of um, like h- how people perceive me so that I can adapt to whatever is appropriate at the, at, at, at the moment. Uh-huh. Um, and in my writing, particularly one thing that it has helped me with a lot is in terms of being more accessible with my writing and trying to make my writing accessible to everyone accessible to as many people from as many different backgrounds from as many different you know like um um cultures and um sexuality religion Mm -hmm. gender like etc um Mm -hmm. because one of the things that i don't like with a lot of writing is a lot of writing is very elite in nature and um particularly poetry um a lot of poetry is very dense and very um difficult to wade through if you don't, you know, like have, you know, like a solid understanding of different, you know, literary devices and like mm-hmm. different, like, like, you know, like image, um, imagery terms and like, you know, like knowledge of like, you know, oh, this is a metaphor for this, or this is an allegory to this or what, what. Um, and I don't want to write like that because I feel like writing like that sort of like places you in like an ivory tower, similar mm-hmm. to academia where, you're setting yourself apart from um, other people and you're setting yourself apart from people who haven't had the privileges that you've had and who haven't had the education that you've had, Mm -hmm. uh, which I believe to be a selfish act. Um, And so I try to, um, I'm blessed to be, to have the education that I've had, I'm blessed to have the privileges that I've had, but I don't take that for granted. And I try to make my writing as accessible to everyone from all sorts of different backgrounds so that everybody can appreciate it, um, particularly people with um, disabilities, people who are not neurotypical, um, because like I deal with various disabilities myself, and that makes it hard. Uh, um, I've come a long way with managing them and stuff like that, but uh, for a long amount of time, I found it hard to read long chunks of text, especially if the text was particularly dense or difficult to like wade through. Um, and I feel like it would be selfish of me as a writer um, now that I've gotten a better handle on my illnesses to write in that way uh-huh. um, in a way that I found you know difficult to read at one point in time so it's a lot better if I write in an accessible way that I would find easier to read when I was going through the worst of my health issues that somebody who has you know focus issues or migraines or uh-huh. you know chronic headache or somebody who's not neurotypical who you know has trouble just reading in general finds simpler to read mm-hmm. yeah it's it's interesting and and i don't know what word to say um to me i I admire that your that desire to to for accessibility and Mm -hmm. i know that for me the poetry that i'm drawn to is like that Mm -hmm. um and i have friends um poets i've met from different places whose writing is not at all like that Mm -hmm. and and it's sometimes hard for me to to really appreciate because i it just it's not a good fit for me. I, I also want to say you identified as as having lived a very privileged life, mm-hmm. which to me is is on some levels very privileged, right? Mm-hmm. Because as you said, in Asia you experience racism. Mm-hmm. In the United States you experience racism. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's no way around that. Yeah. In, in the United States, as a, a man of dark colored skin, uh-huh. you aren't a person of privilege by that definition. And, you know, and so 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 I hear this this embracing the opportunity part because uh-huh. I, I was I, I was 
taught a long time ago that challenge and opportunity are two sides of the same thing. You mm -hmm. know? I like and, that. And that that so you 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 embrace the opportunity. And and I understand that you're saying that you've had the privilege of education mm -hmm. that a lot of people don't have. Mm -hmm. um, related to a totally different part of Africa, I think about um, a, a good friend of mine who's named Robin Goff and has a retreat center here in in Douglas County, Kansas, not in Lawrence. Mm -hmm. um, and we're getting ready for a retreat for suicide loss survivors, so it's really on my mind. Anyway, um, Robin has programs that she's helped develop in South Africa, uh -huh. and one of them is a mentoring program, cross-generational mentoring program. Another is basically with with youth um, of maybe only slightly different ages, uh -huh. so that youth who are taking that that challenge and opportunity to pursue university and and learn things beyond the typical education of this community mm -hmm. encourage younger kids mm -hmm. in their in their community mm -hmm. to, to be able to do that that mm -hmm. it's possible mm -hmm. you know because it's not it's not the easy thing to do no. where yeah. they're living mm -hmm. in that mm -hmm. particular place and so you know I, I understand that that education is an opportunity yeah yeah you know I know from from my own experience my parents were first generation Americans mm -hmm. and my grandfather um, my maternal grandfather mm -hmm who emigrated, um, he was adamant that his grandkids were all gonna have access to college education mm -hmm. because he had none. Mm -hmm. He came with barely speaking any, or maybe not speaking any English mm -hmm. actually, I think, you know, as a, as a teenager, mm -hmm. um, he came to this country and he wanted, you know, was, he really valued education, mm -hmm. and, you know, and, and so he, he helped make that happen. Mm -hmm. My mom would not have, been able to make it and happen and I was not focused enough at 17 to figure out how to make it happen. But my grandfather said, you are going, you are going to the University of Kansas and I'm going to help you do that. Uh -huh. Okay. We'll try it. <laughs> so you are you are touring right now uh -huh. with a project in yes. your book. So we need to talk about that and love to have you share some of your posts. Definitely, yeah. definitely. Sounds great. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so what tell us about the project. Yes. So my book, um, so my book is my debut novel, and that's what um I'm touring on, and that's what I um like um right now, um mainly like um talking about um uh during my different shows. Um it was published in February of this year, and it's called Dear Philomena. And so um, I can just give a little background, a little like um, summary of what the story is about. Um, so in like July of like 1991, uh, I was in my mother's womb. Um, <laughs> and um, the doctors did an ultrasound and told her, congratulations, you're gonna expect a baby girl. Mm -hmm. And my mom got super excited because um, her entire life she'd wanted two boys and two girls. And she, by this point, had one girl and two boys. And so she needed her fourth to be a girl so she could like round out, you know, her quartet and like, <laughs> <laughs> she'd be set. <laughs> um, and so she got super excited. She like did the, her friends to her baby shower. Like she bought a, got a bunch of like pink dresses and uh -huh. like floral bonnets and everything. Uh -huh. And um, she ended up uh, picking the name Philomena for her baby girl. And so she goes in to deliver the baby January 92. And I'm born, um, and the doctors are like, it's a boy. And my mom's like, what? And the yes. doctors are like, yeah, sorry, we guess we made a mistake. You know, didn't <laughs> <watch us out." laughs> uh, but my mom was like, oh, I wanted a girl, so I'm going to have a girl. Um, <laughs> and so for like the first year of my life or so, like I was dressed up in all those pink dresses um. and all those floral bonnets and everything. And um, then like later on, my mom was like, all right, you can do whatever you want. Um, and um, she had my little sisters, and she was like, all right, I'm good. Um, but um, my mom told me the story my whole life of Lamanaz, who you're supposed to be. Um, and um, I'm very, very interested in the social construction of gender. Um, and that's something that I explore throughout the book, um, mm -hmm. because my mom's told me my whole life, it's Lamanaz, who you're supposed to be, Lamanaz, who you're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, one of the things that I started doing, so this is the part of the story where it gets depressing. Um, so in December 2014, unfortunately, I suffered from two back-to-back -back strokes. And this led to a massive, massive derailment in my health. Um, I was 22 at the time. Um, doctors didn't really know what was going on. I just graduated from college a few months before. Um, I was like having multiple seizures a day, um, ridiculous amounts of pain from head to toe. 
a constant headache, uh, migraines, um, like exhaustion. Mm -hmm. I was bedridden for the better part of a year. I couldn't walk. I was moving around in like a wheelchair. Um, and my health just kept on getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And so every single doctor I went to um, came to the conclusion that um, either A, I was crazy and it was all in my head, or B, um, that um, I was going to die by the end of the year because my health kept on getting worse and nobody could figure it out. Um, and so um, one of the things that I started doing in order to deal with that mentally and emotionally was I started um, these series of conversations um, between myself, Mugabe, and Philomena, who I was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And so that's what the book is. And so it's told through um, a converse, it's told through basically um, conversations back and forth between myself and Philomena. So it reads sort of like a play, um, even though it's a novel. Um, and it's also told through like um, social media posts that like I put out, you know, in the book and diary entries and things like that. And so it's very, very much a confessional tome. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I really like it. I, I call it the story of two strokes, one girl, one boy, and a whole lot of magical realism. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's basically the story of um, the year that I was supposed to die, but somehow managed to live through, told through conversations between myself, Mugabe, and uh -huh. Philomena, who I was supposed to be. Uh -huh. Wow. <laughs> There's so many things that that brings up. I mean, from... So the first year your mom presented you as a girl mm -hmm. presented to the world. Mm -hmm. I don't know how, if she um, interacted with you differently than she would have if she had acknowledged your male body. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I say it that way because I know that not everybody's gender is what they're mm -hmm. assigned to bring mm -hmm. anyway. Mm -hmm. So so this is, there's there's a whole lot of complexity yeah. about year one. Huh? Exactly, exactly. There's a lot of complexity and like, um, it makes me question a lot of things and it makes me like think about a lot of things because like, hey, like my mom for doing what she did was incredibly progressive um, at the time. Um, and um, like in the situation she was in, um, like, you know, like for whatever reason she did it, like it was still an incredibly progressive act. And um, like it, but like, saying that like feels untrue in a sense because like it it's progressive by today's standards but in pre-colonial africa that type of stuff happened all the time and so like is it progressive is it regressive is it like going back to like what used to be before mm -hmm. like the british came in and introduced homophobia and queerphobia and like you know like gendered binary and all that like mm -hmm. i don't know mm -hmm. um and there, there is a lot of complexities like inherent in that because um, sometimes I wonder like because um, sometimes I wonder whether my like you know like uh, feminine traits or like um, some things that I do and like some things in my nature are influenced by that year mm -hmm. um, or whether um, it's just you know pure coincidence or just chance or like other environmental factors and yeah it's it's definitely interesting but it's something that um, like I fully accept and celebrate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's your mom's reaction to your novel? Uh, my mom hasn't read it. Okay. Yeah, uh, because okay. because of the nature of the book, because yeah. it's it's incredibly depressing. Because it was like about a very very hard year, um, and my mom wasn't able to physically be with me during that year, mm -hmm. um, and. Um, like that that was that was the best decision for her because she was mm -hmm. um home with my little sister and she didn't want to leave my little sister alone um mm -hmm. and it was better for her to be my little sister than to like come over to like you know um because i was in washington dc at the time with my older sister who was helping take care of me um and she was had a handle on things and it was better for mm -hmm. her to just you know do what she was doing than my mom to fly all the way over and like she has business and stuff in uganda and yeah. to leave my little sister alone like it just be yeah. Yeah. um but at the same time she beats herself up over not being there physically with me uh -huh. um, during a time when i was going through a lot um, uh -huh. and so she hasn't been able to read it because it's just too tough yeah. for her to yeah that's that's a fine choice mm -hmm. it's not the time for her there may be a time there may not be exactly yeah. exactly yeah but she's very proud of like what i'm doing and uh -huh. yeah of the book and the success was far. So you're doing this, the the tour that you're doing is it across? Was it across Canada and then the United States? Yes. Or okay. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. So I'm doing a North American tour right now. Uh -huh. I started off in um, Eastern Canada, um, and 
then made my way uh, down to the US and then I'm gonna go uh, up the West Coast um, and then back up to Canada. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> and so what, what are some of the things that you're doing as you cross these two countries in terms of presenting your, your work? So what I do when, uh, when I present my work is um, I was having like trouble figuring out how to present my work because of the nature of the book. The book is mostly a series of conversations between myself and Philomena. Like mm -hmm. it has um, other things included in it, um, mm -hmm. but the majority of the book is me talking to Philomena. And that was difficult for me to figure out how to present um, unless I physically had um, someone playing the character of Philomena up there mm -hmm. with me. Because if I was playing both characters, it would get confusing. Mm -hmm. um, and during my book launch, I had um, my girlfriend up with me uh, playing the character of Philomena, which went really, really well. Um, but I can't track her along to every single <laughs> show. Uh, and so um, what I decided to do instead um, is like I, I'm not the biggest fan of some uh, readings um, that people that like uh, authors do because um, readings can be difficult sometimes if like you don't have the context behind like what is being like uh, read from and also sometimes like especially if the person doesn't have a particularly engaging like style or like um, uh, voice um, it can be your mind can drift off it can be hard to pay attention it can be um, difficult to like keep people captivated if you're just reading from mm -hmm. a text um, and I wanted my like uh, I told you accessibility is very important to me but like despite that like I still like love the depth and complexities and like um, intricacies of language and the things that it can do on literary analysis um, and so I always try to have my performance and my writing be um, accessible but you can go deep with it if you choose to. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And so what I chose to do was I chose to format my shows around like um, similar to a uh, concert because I love music, I love concerts. And so what I do is I do um, spoken word uh, pieces inspired by my book. And so I um, like wrote and like uh, picked out um, s several pieces that I'd already written that related to my book. And so I have those spoken word pieces that are inspired by the book. Uh, and then in between those pieces, I talk about how those pieces relate to my story, mm -hmm. uh, tell, tell them a little bit about my story and about the book and about like my life and what I've been through. And I tie everything together and weave everything together and joke with the audience and mm -hmm. like just um, try to like, you know, like keep people um, engaged and keep people's emotions um, varying mm -hmm. because it's a very, very depressing and dark subject matter mm -hmm. uh, because it was a very depressing and dark time. and. I don't want to keep people in that mood for the right. length of, yeah, right. because um, like, A, like if people are there, you know, like for too long, it can become unsafe. Um, yeah. And yeah, and also like, it's like, like a lot of people don't expect that going into it. And so I don't want to like, you know, bring you down. And like, mm -hmm. I, I give content warnings and all that, but like still, you know, mm -hmm. um, and like with a variable mood, it's also more um, engaging uh, as an yeah. audience member. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, yeah, like a lot of my like, and I use humor as a great source of like um, uh, dealing with stuff. <laughs> See, we're, we're so in sync with that. Um, one of my favorite activities of the year is I host something on World Suicide Prevention mm -hmm. Day, and the event is called Words Save Lives. Oh, yes, and I've heard of this. We did this on September 10th, mm -hmm. which is World Suicide Prevention Day. And this year, um, the, the mix of performances included um, different kinds of poetry, stories, comedy, music, and drag. Mm -hmm. And and when I do this scheduling, as people have agreed to perform, like you, I'm varying the tone. Mm -hmm. And our very last two performances of the evening were a performance art piece. Mm -hmm. uh, and then that was incredibly intense. Mm -hmm. And then that was followed by Ms. Amanda Love, who does the, the drag shows uh -huh. in Lawrence. And she did this amazing, wonderful, you know, segue of pieces that it was just like, this was the perfect way to end this thing. Because for me, the goal of the event is to bring people together. Uh -huh. It's not like you're saying to depress them uh -huh. and increase the vulnerability of people uh -huh. who are already at risk. It's, uh -huh. it's acknowledging that, that what, what we do that makes our lives worth living, that's truly what suicide prevention is. Exactly, exactly. So that's really cool. That's amazing. That's really cool. Yeah. So how do people find out, you know, somebody who's listening to this podcast uh -huh. could be anywhere. Uh -huh. 
Um, how do people find out where you might be performing? Um, so I usually update um, my performances via my um, social media. I really, sh I also, I also have a website which I really should like uh, update regularly and like keep um, more up to date. Um, mm -hmm. But unfortunately, um, I okay. just been busy. Yeah, I, yeah. Um, but um, so how do they find out? Um, by my social media mostly. So yeah, um, my Facebook is um, M U G A B S B Mugabsby. That's my Facebook page. My Instagram is M-U-G-A-B-S, Mugabs, which is one of my nicknames. And my Twitter is M-U-G-A-B-S-D as well, so Mugabs. Okay, and let's make sure we get that on the information about the show because Perfect. it'd be great for people to be able yeah. to find out if, if there's an opportunity that they can get to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Where they are. Definitely. Very Perfect. cool. Very cool. <laughs> and the book, how do people actually purchase the book? I'm um, assuming that you have it available when you're performing, that people yes. can buy it from you. Uh -huh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I have it available on a prompt. People can buy it from me, um, as well as um, it's online on my publisher's website. Um, and there, there's a link to that via my website. Um, okay. So it's mugabi.net, M U G A B I.net. Um, and so, yeah, if you get on there, you just click on the link saying buy the book. And from there, you just enter uh, whatever your like yeah. uh, shipping address is, and it can be shipped to you. Oh, wonderful. Uh -huh. Wonderful. And so we've been talking. We haven't been hearing. <laughs> How about some of the poetry? That would be wonderful. Sounds great. Yeah. Okay. All right. So um, the piece that I'm going to share um, is um, inspired by um, the difficulties of the writing process of the book. Um, because when I started writing the book initially, um, I was in a lot worse um, health state than I am currently because um, it was right after my strokes and uh, well, short, 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 shortly after my strokes and I was trying to write the book, but like I could manage like 15 minutes worth of writing um, every other day. And after those 15 minutes, um, I went into like a three hour long seizure uh -huh. uh, with like a terrible migraine and like um, it was just a lot of questions that were going through my mind of is this worth it? Like, why am I putting myself through this? Like, mm -hmm. why am I writing um, if these are the consequences and these are the ramifications? Mm -hmm. um, and um, honestly, a part of myself still isn't sure if it was worth it, okay. like putting myself through that, mm -hmm. um, because it was, yeah, it, it was a lot. Mm -hmm. um, but the book and the, con like, one of the most important things about the book and one of the reasons why I wanted to put it out um, and one of the reasons that I like I'm doing the tour is because of the conversations that I have with people after mm -hmm. um, the amazing conversations on vulnerability mm -hmm. and because I believe vulnerability is strength um, and on um, people like who I've never met before, like telling me um, things that they've never told anyone before, telling me it was so great to hear you share, mm -hmm. you know, share your story, share yourself. It makes me feel more comfortable. And that's like because if we get to a point where we're more open and more accepting and people are more willing to share their struggles. I feel like it makes life easier and more loving. Yes, so, yeah. yes. <laughs> totally with you about that. It's, yeah. it's wonderful stuff to be able to know that we're not alone because mm -hmm. somebody else has these thoughts, these feelings, these experiences. Exactly. That person is at the mic talking about it. I haven't been brave enough to do anything like that. Mm -hmm. And I'm inspired, you know, and, and that to me, that's what, what connected me to, to art of different mm -hmm. kinds in terms of that, as I say, the intersection of art and mental health mm -hmm. is, mm -hmm. is it, it creates that, that sense of being valued and being understood, not being alone. Very cool. Exactly. Okay. So yeah, so this piece I'm gonna share, it's called, It's Been a While. It's been a while since I wrote some new poetry. It's been a while since I channeled my inner Jodeci, oh, it's been a while since I cried over the loss of my faculties. It's been a while since I defecated in bed because I lost control of me. Wide-eyed and groggy mind state, oxymoron, yet description of my state of being as I shuddered awake to a squelching feeling running down my pants, faster than Captain Underpants, prances around town chasing after Professor Poopy Pants. No doctorate, but my pants are poopy. 
Did I just poop in my pants? Absolutely. There's no fade to black like a scene in a movie. I literally just pooped in my pants, didn't I? <laughs> Major oopsies. Now you might be chuckling and wondering how I could get to a point where I poop in my pants while asleep. You won't be chuckling once you discern that it's due to me suffering from three strokes by the time I turned 23. At the time, life was so stressful and depressing that pooping my pants was honestly a relief. For I went to bed most nights wishing for death. But that morning, I woke up to some comic relief. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, and, and as not everybody obviously has that exact same experience, mm -hmm. there's there's a parallel to what life is like for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. It's really hard. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and I I will say that I I know for many people that that being able to laugh about something yes. is, <laughs> is part of being able to stay alive. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's why I like to inject a lot of humor into both my poetry and like uh, my prose and like, like, yeah, like, because like, I feel like if you're bringing somebody down, like you gotta lift off a little bit too, you know, to like even things out a little bit. Like you can't just bring someone down and leave them there. Yeah. Um, and so like the juxtaposition of the humor with the like, Dark subject matter um, creates a yeah, it creates an interesting yeah. combination. And it and it's it breaks it's like it breaks the the lock that our brain gets on the pain. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? In mm -hmm. terms of as as you're sharing your experience and people who are relating to whatever kinds of pains they've experienced, mm -hmm. and then they're able to laugh, then that kind of opens up our brains to be able to remember there are things in addition to just pain in our life. Exactly. We can, we can forget that. We can get close up to that. Exactly. It's really important and really, really good. Exactly. Yeah. Like a lot of people tell me when they see me on stage, they're like, you like talk about so much pain that you've been through and you're like still in pain, but like you're up there laughing and enjoying yourself and yeah. it doesn't make sense. Yeah. But like, it, like one of the quotes from my book is like, you don't have to be um, happy to love yourself or to be loved by others. Because um, like I was depressed for like a long time um, and still struggle with depression. And um, for a long time I was, I, I didn't know what happiness felt like, mm -hmm. but I was still loved, you know, by a lot of people and I, I still love myself. Mm -hmm. And I like, despite that, like still had moments of happiness, you know? And I feel like injecting that joy and to like day-to-day -day life and showing people that like, you can be struggling and you can be like having a terrible, terrible time, but you can still find humor and you can still find happiness. Sometimes people need to sort of be be led that direction. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's it may not be what comes easily at yeah. certain points. Definitely, definitely. There's a, a friend in Kansas City, John Shukart, who has become a he does a lot of, of advocacy related to mental health and is a person who lives with depression mm -hmm. and came very close to ending his life. Mm -hmm. And it was that incident the way that unfolded that that sort of woke him up to the idea that we have to, we must find the humor in life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's a huge part of how we can get through mm -hmm. these awful things. Mm -hmm. You know, and he tells the story of his suicide attempt mm -hmm. and the various twists and turns and mm -hmm. how it how it was prevented when he reached out to a friend. Mm -hmm. um, and and that friend got him laughing by asking him some questions like, so what were you going to eat as your last meal? Mm -hmm. And he's like, I don't know. Well, what do you like? Well, I kind of like these blizzards at the Dairy Queen. Okay, cool. Well, then what size would you get? Mm -hmm. Well, I always get a small. Well, what difference would it make? Why would you not get a large? <laughs> stuff, you know? And yeah. whatever, you know, so this conversation and it, and it got him out of that lock. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Suicide yeah. is what I must do because uh -huh. life is terrible. It's like, actually, Sometimes life is kind of ridiculous and funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. <laughs> Which is not to minimize the mm -hmm. pain that people experience emotionally mm -hmm. or physically. Mm -hmm. And when people are experiencing both emotional and physical pain, it's so overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And and even the starting with physical pain 
certainly can lead to emotional mm-hmm. pain. Mm-hmm. So it's all complicated, mm-hmm. and finding our ways to get through that is really important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I hear you saying that that your book, Dear Philomena, is mm-hmm. very intense mm-hmm. and also is inspiring. Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. Yeah, because I'm, I'm a firm believer that it's okay not to be okay, you know? Uh-huh. You don't always have to be fine. You don't always have to be, like, you know, like, stable, like, because people go through a lot of stuff and people go through a lot of struggles. Yes. and. Yes it's perfectly okay to like, you know, own that and to like not be okay all the time yeah. or, or like for like even like months or years on end yeah. um, and to like be more uh, accepting of that and be more accepting of the fact that, you know, it's not all roses and sunshine every right. single day. Right. Yeah. And you're saying that from experience, not like, oh, it's easy for me to tell other people life is yeah, good yeah, yeah. because my life's always been good. You're saying, you know, I've been through a lot mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and I know this. I have to add that you said, you know, it's okay not to be fine and in that to, to teach you a little acronym that a friend of mine taught me a long time ago, mm-hmm. um, a, a dear man <laughs> who did does amazing, amazing work with substance abuse and mm-hmm. has always, that's that's been his passion and it's him coming through his own recovery mm-hmm. into that profession. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jerry would say that, well, you know what, you know, when you walk down the the, the hallway of, of my of the center where I work, you ask people how they are and, and the, the staff will all say, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. He said, you know what that means mm-hmm. when they say they're fine? It's like, well, I don't know. He goes, fucked up, insecure, neurotic, and exhausted. <laughs> Sometimes people say frustrated, but you know, mm-hmm. whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah, because for a long time when people ask me how I'm doing, I said terrible. Yeah. You know? <laughs> There's yeah. a woman who does a podcast that's called Terrible Thanks for Asking. <laughs> and every episode is about, you know, people being real about uh-huh. different huge challenges that mm-hmm, they've had mm-hmm. and of course in her there's some humor inserted or she wouldn't use that yeah that title but but it it was starting with her experience mm-hmm. of several losses mm-hmm. her father and her husband right around the time of her and her husband's first child being born and stuff that just happened really quickly mm-hmm. and with no control mm-hmm. and the reality is now i'm not okay how could you be honest yeah yeah, yeah. Be incredibly so, unhealthy for you to be okay. Yeah. yeah, so terrible. Thanks for asking. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's perfect. I yeah. love it. <laughs> I, I sometimes check in with people by saying, you know, how, how are you doing, you know, considering mm-hmm. what's going on, you know, as opposed to like that just, you know, you should be a certain way, but, yeah. but acknowledging that whatever this hard thing is that you're living with right now, mm-hmm. you know, how are you feeling? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. Yeah, one of my friends asking me, how's your heart space right now? Ah, which is very important. Mm-hmm. How is your heart space? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I like that. That's very good. Would you like to share another poem? Oh, sure thing. Poem? Yeah, 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 sure thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what can I share? Uh, all right. Um, so... One of the things that um, I learned um, during my time in KU um, is about, it's a West Africa, I took a class on African thought, philosophy, and religion, uh, which ironically enough was like my first time learning about African thought, philosophy, and religion because of colonialism. Uh, I like know British history and thought and philosophy and religion inside out, but know nothing about my own people. Um, but the class of KU was very, very enlightening. Um, it was very broad, but like, I mean. Well, Africa is huge. Yeah. <laughs> that alone would make it broad. Exactly, <laughs> and we had a semester, um, so not that much time. But uh, one of the really, really interesting things that I learned at that class was about, um, there's this um, West African belief um, in two lives. And so the belief is that you have your first life when you're born and when you die. And then your second life begins when you die and it ends when your name is uttered for the last time on earth. And so your second life lasts as long as people remember you basically. Um, and so um, there are various complexities inherent in that, in that like 
because uh, like the point of somebody um, basically like the point of living a good life and the point of like um, life uh, in those societies was to have as long a second life as possible and so to leave as big of an impact on other yes. people so that they remember you and yes. they talk about you um, but that can be for good or bad reasons if you think about it because yeah. like um, you know um, Adolf Hitler will have an like infinite second life the same way that you know uh, Martin Luther King Jr. would for very very different reasons right. um, and so there's some you know complexities inherent in that but one of the things that I love about that uh, belief is um, that you can carry on people's names and people's legacies by talking about them and by telling their stories yes. and by you know uh, sharing their truths. And um, one of the things that I like to do uh, with my poetry is to keep my father's second life living and keep my father's second life healthy and keep saying like his, his keep speaking about him, keep saying his name. Um, and so I'd like to share um, these uh, two pieces, but one of them is really short and the segues into the other one. Um, one's called question mark, they're called RIP, and these are dedicated to my father. So yeah, this is for him. His name, his name is, is Vlad. Why did my dad have to die? 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 And why can't I cry? Why? Can I cry? Why can't I cry? Why can't I cry? Said, why can't I cry? Why can't I cry? Why did my dad have to die? And why can't I cry? 12 years ago, my father died. Wished it was a bullet in between his eyes. At least then I'd have someone to maim, someone to blame someone to take aim at. The bane of my existence is calling. Revenge is non-existent, darling. For no one killed my father but his own body. Tears caress my cheek as they tell me not to be meek. Be strong, be strong. You got to carry on. But I don't want to carry on if carrying on means a mask must be worn. If not displaying emotions is strength, then why does it feel so wrong? Why do I not know what I'm supposed to do and what to feel? Why am I overanalyzing? Is this really real? This superficialness is simply the first stage of grief. Negativity got me feeling like Chief Keef. I don't like, I don't like. Wipe the tears from my eyes because as a man, I should not cry. Societal expectations with no explanation are leaving me dry. Be strong for others, they say, but no one clarifies what that entails. Why do they keep on telling me what I should do? Why? Do they tell me not to let it out? For that decision, they will rule out. Have an uncontrollable ball of rage inside of me, digesting my intestines. If released, a pretty sight you will not see. So stop telling me how I should deal. Stop telling me how I should heal. Stop telling me, ah, you have no idea how I deal with my issues, walk a mile in my shoes. You will simply learn that I have no idea why I feel the way I feel. I have no idea what is real and what is real. I have no idea why you get to rest in peace while I'm alive in anguish. Those are words people need to hear because in this country, most people I know don't talk about death mm. and have no idea then how to, to deal with the thoughts and feelings mm -hmm. and all the stuff that happens to them mm -hmm. when somebody they care about dies. Mm -hmm. It's it's a lot. It's a lot to process because, like, as you know, like inevitable as death is, um, at the same time, like especially when it happens, like it when it happens to someone where it's like relatively unexpected 
or like, you know, like the person isn't, you know, 105 or something. And even when the person is 105, it still is shocking and jarring, you know, like, because like, like you love the person and to not have them around anymore is, it's incredibly, incredibly difficult to, to deal with. And I feel like there's like a, a culture of like, um, like, like I discussed in my piece, like a lot of my, you know, like uncles and like relatives, like when my father passed away, he kept on telling me, be strong, be strong, be strong for your mother, be strong, be strong, be strong. And I didn't understand that because what they, what they meant by strength was to put on a mask and to pretend like everything was all right. Um, but that felt so, so wrong to me. Um, and so that's why I say, if not displaying emotions is strength, then why does it feel so wrong? Yeah. Um, because that's that's not healthy. That's not right. right. Um, and especially the, the nature of masculinity and like be strong for your mother. Um, like, because, you know, like I'm, I'm, I was a boy and so I should be strong and like be strong for my mother because my mother is the, the woman and she's, you know, the like weak one um, in terms of, no, she's a toxic masculinity and so i should be strong for her because she can't be strong for herself but like why should any of us be strong in the first place mm -hmm. why can't we process our emotions and grieve and yeah. you know like or like, why isn't that the definition of strong yeah yeah is, uh -huh. is processing our emotions uh -huh. and really grieving. Uh -huh. yeah. Uh -huh. yeah so yeah. yeah people yeah people definitely need to like grieve and process their emotions and be comfortable with that and also just like be comfortable with like being very like real about like, cause I mean, I'm, a, I'm in a lot better place regarding my father's death currently um, than I was um, when I wrote that piece. Uh -huh. um, but like the, the final line is, why do you get to rest in peace while I'm alive in anguish? Uh -huh. um, which is how I felt at the time because uh -huh. people always say like, oh, like they're resting in peace and like nobody knows what happens when somebody dies, but like they're no longer around. Um, and so like, especially if they were suffering, we like to think that they're in a better place, right? And my father, like, he had cancer and he was really suffering for nine months. And so I like to think that he's in a better place right now. Um, but at the same time, I felt really selfish saying that because I was like, he's in a better place. I shouldn't be asking, why do you get dressed in peace while I'm alive in anguish? Um, but it was real. That was how I felt. And so I decided to be honest with my feelings yeah. and yeah, express myself. What, what I say to people, because I work a lot with bereavement, mm -hmm. uh, specifically bereavement after suicide mm -hmm. loss, and, and I say, you know, the truth is, whatever you feel, whatever you're thinking, whatever you're doing, as long as you're staying safe, mm -hmm. it's okay for now. <laughs> because it is, you mm -hmm. know, and, mm -hmm. it, and we may be so different than we were before that loss, mm -hmm. especially in when that grief is really wrong, mm -hmm. you know, and it, that can be scary. It's like, no, I mean, seriously, the, to me, the standard is safety. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Makes yeah. sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. as long as you're, you know, not harming yourself or others yeah. and like, yeah, yeah, keeping safe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and when you need to cry, then you can need to cry. When you can't mm -hmm. get out of bed, then don't get out of bed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you just need to like punch a wall. Mm -hmm. um, well, no, no, that isn't. <laughs> how hard you punch uh, yeah, Somebody yeah. said to me who just hit a tree with their hand, it's like, I need to get a heavy bag again. It's like, yeah, that's a good thing. But the truth is, punching the tree was better than what you might have done if you had, you know. That is true. <laughs> so, yeah, safety first, safety mm -hmm. first. Very true, very true. Well, there's so many things, I, and so I always like to, to um, sort of wrap up with some reminders mm -hmm. for people, so how they find where you're going to be, how they find your book, mm -hmm. those kinds of things. Okay. What would you like to say? Um, so, yeah, I'd just like to say um, you can find where I'm going to be um, via my social media and my blog. Uh, my blog is um, They Said I Should Talk More. WordPress.com, and I do a write-up of every um, like uh, show that I've done and like um, advertise the next one on there. And so it's a great way to keep track of things. And you can follow that and get like the email sent to you, um, or just follow that on WordPress. And my social media is my Facebook is M U G A B S B Mugabs B. My Instagram is M U G A B S Mugabs, and my Twitter is M U G A B S B Mugabs B. 
And my website where you can um, get my book, uh, if you'd like it shipped to you, is mugabi.net. And I would love if you have any listeners in South America um, to get the book shipped to them, as currently I have had my book distributed across uh, six continents, cool. including, including Antarctica. Wonderful. Yeah, uh, South America is the only one that I have yet to <laughs> get okay. a book to. So. so we need to help get South American exactly. purchaser of books. Exactly. I'm sure there are people I know. In fact, in fact, one of my good friends, his husband, yes, I will just say, could you have one of your family members read this book? <laughs> <Perfect>. <laughs> Yes, yeah. that would be cool. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Thank you so much that for the conversation and the poetry, and I hope some of our listeners will be at some of the performances. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They sound powerful. Definitely, yeah. Thank you so much for Thank having you. me. Thank you so much for, for the support. Yeah, I mean, my performances have been great so far, and it's been, like, beautiful because of, um, like, it, it's, like, funded through, like, you know, performance fees and, like, book sales and stuff like that, and not being able to get by, and so that's, that's beautiful and that's a blessing. And so I hope for you know, the yeah. same to continue yes. onwards as we go. And yeah. And you are, your name? My name is Mugabe. And if they see the whole name on a poster? Um, it would either be Mugabe Bienkia or Mugabe Augustine Ateni or Latokumbo <laughs> Bienkia. <laughs> and the book is Dear Philomena. Exactly. Yes. Thank you, listeners. I know that you got a lot of, out of this. As I did. And another shout out to Nadia and Mavadam for the connection. Exactly. So long.